Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name also. And it's in his name that we meet again this morning. Welcome all the visitors also. It's good to see the Hess family here. Welcome. Uh, especially think of the Hess family in regards to this month. It's uh, 500 years since the Reformation started. And they're, uh, they're kind of remembering the Reformation and all the things that went on. And I think, where is Oliver when we need him? It would sure be good to hear from Oliver again as he waited on them. Uh, things so many times. <clears throat> so I'm going to bounce off of something this morning that Stanley Fox said at our training there. Is Stanley going to be in Haiti next week? Tell him I appreciated his thoughts there. And uh, Stanley was training chaplain to be uh, what they should be in a few weeks after a storm. And he was motivating us, the room in there in CAM down in Ohio a couple weeks ago or a week or so ago. And something that he said stuck in my mind. And I kept thinking about it. He said, you know, um, as he's a pastor in Pennsylvania. And he said, uh, I could uh, do something against the church discipline, against something that the church stands for. And I would get talked to pretty soon. But I can sit in my church year after year with no enthusiasm lukewarmness, no power to win over the battles that I'm facing, losing ground, and nobody talks to me. Nobody says a word. And it was thought-provoking to me. Um, I, was, I was mauling that over and turning it back and forth. And... Uh, there's a lot of things that we could do, a lot of things we could work at this morning, uh, we could look at this morning. But sometimes if we look at too many things, we don't go away with nothing. When you walk out uh, and you discuss what the minister preached about, nobody knows, which isn't unusual there. So I want to give you one thing. Back When we lived back in Metcalf Road, we had a house that needed a lot of work, and there was eight of us that lived in that house, and it needed a lot of work. And, and we, would, we spent years looking at that, and we think, you know, we ought to do the back room. That's not that big a deal. Uh, he had these ridiculous... Windows with salt and pepper shakers built in there, if you remember that. And the floor was rotted off of it. And so it needed work. And we'd say, you know, we need to do the back room and fix it. And if we're doing that anyway, we should put an archway into the kitchen. Yeah, let's do that. That's not that big a deal. And if we put an archway into the kitchen, we'll have to move the fridge over. 
a little bit. And if we're moving the fridge over anyway and we're cutting that nice countertop that we had there, I think it was lime green or whatever it was, the color it was. The kitchen cabinets aren't what some of you would refer to as kitchen cabinets. They were plywood. and So if we're going to move the fridge anyway, let's, let's get other cabinets or get other doors. Get somebody to make other doors. And about this time it occurred to us that we were out of our limited finances and out of our energy level. And we had surpassed what was going to, in, in reality, happen. And so we just left the whole thing. And year after year, we lived with the back room. Once in a while, we'd say again, you know, it's not that big a deal to do the back room. The floor's rotted. It's, it's a 12 by 20. It's like building a mini barn. We can do that quick. Let's do the back room. And while we're doing the back room, let's do this. So this morning, I'm going to give you one thing give us one thing to start on. Stanley challenged me. You know, one of the things that Stanley said that he sometimes thinks when he's standing up in front of his congregation or when he's working through things, he says, as he looks at life that lacks enthusiasm, that lacks power, that lacks success, he looks at me and he thinks this thought, I wonder if they're Christians. I wonder if they're Christians at all. And it was thought-provoking to me. So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy 3.5, as those thoughts rolled around in my mind, there was one verse that I was thinking about. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the verse that kept rolling around in my mind was, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And it starts out in uh, chapter 3 here, this know that in the last days there's going to be perilous times. And it means that there's going to be very difficult times. And I think... Uh, we could consider that in the last days. And, and the, what you see further here is going to be uh, earmarked of the last times. And the crazy thing about this, it's not talking about people that are out in the world or people out there. Uh, Paul says in another place, I don't say that you should judge or change those type of people, but uh, what he's looking at is people in the church here. Uh, he's talking about people in the church having a form of godliness, professing God and having a form of godliness. And it says these kinds of people later on, he says, ever learning and never able to come to a, a truth. They have itching ears. And uh, we live in a time where tell me what you want. Tell me what you want to hear. If you want to hear that... Uh, Homosexuality is all right. I can provide a preacher that has went to school and that has a Ph.D. and he can assure you that you're fine living in that lifestyle. Uh, do you want whatever you want to hear, whatever you want to approve in your life, you can find somebody that will approve that. 
But we're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And as I looked at the paragraph, uh, what it says, For men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I need to consent this down. We can't move the refrigerator. We can't replace the cabinets this morning. I want to give you one thing to work at. And I just before I do that, you know, as we look at this here in today's society, you say disobedient to parents. And in society, they say, well, aren't children supposed to be? Dis- That's normal. That's just uh, last night we went to, to Coop's Pizza and there was a, a little one, maybe three or four or five years old, causing a scene out on the, on the walkway. You know, and some of you with larger families, you go into a restaurant and your children sit there obedient and you have a good time together and you visit. And it's like you're at a zoo. People stop by and say, hey, we just wanted to tell you, it blows our mind how your children just sit there real nice. And there was a time when that was normal. When, when parents, uh, when, and tell me, when did it happen that you can quote a verse and it's hate speech all of a sudden? You quote a verse out of the Bible and you get uh, challenged that that's hate, that's hate speech, that's hate talk. Uh, lovers of, or how does it say, they, they uh, uh, hate what is good. But the bulk of this that I see here is a lover of self. What we think about ourselves. How we view ourselves. And I'm looking at the thought of Stanley's, how can we sit there year after year, lack enthusiasm, lack the power to win the battles where... And I'm trying to get somewhere to start. Some, just one place where we can start in our lives this next week. A takeaway that we can take home and we can start there. We can just do the back room a little bit. And we live in a time that is, psychologists tell us that it's by far the most narcissistic generation that ever was. That we love ourselves more than even the people did back in this Bible time there. You know, we think it's normal to have a page about ourselves and put the good things about ourselves out there for people to see. We think, well, that's normal. And I was, as I was studying for this, I, I saw some statistics that says in our country... Um, we're falling behind a lot of the other countries. Some of the places we're not even like in math and in science and, 
and all the things that in you know that matter we're falling behind we're not in the middle of the pack we're spending more money than about anybody else out there but we're not in the middle of the pack in those things we're way down the ladder behind many many other nations but we're ahead in one thing and that is self how we look at ourselves what's the word i'm looking for self esteem Self-esteem, the U.S. comes in really high on. We're really doing good on that there. A narcissist personality disorder is a mental disorder in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for admiration, and a lack of empathy for others, But behind this mask of ultra-confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to even the slightest criticism. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Where do we start? You know, we just make excuses. When we are too proud, when we think we're always right, and we're too proud, and we're uh, unable to hear, we just excuse the battles that we lose. We, we just make excuses. Well, my accountability partner didn't call me for three weeks, so I, I failed. Or I wasn't around others that I knew, so my resolve went down and I failed. Are um, you 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 fill in the excuses the the battles you fail and and the things you fail in your Christian life what what for excuses do you have? There was a song that said um, I forget how it went uh, a secular song we must the greatest love is of all is to learn to love yourself. That's that's the greatest love? Give me a break. That we do that. We love ourselves pretty quick. We put ourselves first. We put ourselves up. And the greatest love in life is not to learn to love self. That's not what we're fighting against. It says, well, and we, we put it this way, if I learn to love myself, then I can learn to love others properly. But that isn't how that, that goes. That isn't, we, we don't need to try to teach youth how to love themselves. And we can't overcome and we can't learn as long as we know. Did you ever, uh, there's a certain age where a youth, not, not you guys, other, other youth, they, they know everything. You can't teach them anything. Uh, there's, there's an age where a parent is uh, a parent and then they become a coach. And, as you go, and somewhere along the line, sometimes in some youth that can change. And it changes just a little bit. And they know better than their dad then. And I had six boys and so I had the privilege of working with them as they went through that age. And 
you know, you'll, you'll tell them something and, and usually they'll say, good. But then they, they come to a certain period in their life that you'll tell them something and they kind of make a um, schnoot or something. They, you can tell their jaw sets and you can tell that that didn't get through. So you, as a father, become more emphatic and you say, listen, and you spell it out real slow. But the, the set in their jaw stays on there and they don't change it. And that's how we as Christians are when we don't humble, humble ourselves. You can't teach a person like that. And I could have went a hundred places in the New Testament for the verse that I, uh, for the verses to, to, to bring about what we're looking at here, but there was one in the Old Testament that came to my mind. If my people, which are called by my name, shall do what? Humble themselves. We want to work at one thing this morning. We want to we wanna just do the back room. We're not going to move the fridge. We're not going to cut. But if my people... And a word that stood out. If. If my people... Which are called by my name shall humble themselves. And when that youth goes through that period of time where you can't tell him anything and his jaw is set, there's not a thing that you can teach him. If he's an adult, if he's past that age where that one that threw a fit on the sidewalk uh, should have been negotiated with last night there, but... If, if, if you're looking, if he's taller than you are, and he has a set in his jaw, you can't teach him anything. And we as Christians sit here pretty satisfied. We have 500 years of Reformation. We're Lutheran, or we're Mennonites from, Martin, or from Luther or Menno Simons. And we can get pretty set in our ways. And it doesn't matter that we sit here lacking enthusiasm, criticizing the church, criticizing people around us, losing all the spiritual battles that we go up against. As long as in our mind we're right, there's never a change going to come. I can't, uh, I can't change things about me unless I first humble myself. As long as I am right and everybody else is wrong, there's no change going to come in my life. If I can't humble myself, I'm not going to change. I am going to insist I'm right. I'm going to justify myself. I'm going to... Uh, Know that everybody else is wrong and there is no change going to come in my relationships, in my losing the battles, 
there's nothing going to change. <clears throat> if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. I want to leave just one point with you this morning. Just one. If you can seek humility, things in your life are going to change. God is going to heal. The, if there's things, if there's struggles you're facing, if there's things you're fighting against and losing, if, you're, if, you're, if there's battles in your life, one change, one tweak, if you can humble yourself, things are going to get better. God's going to heal our land. And we are so nonchalant when we approach the Lord. We're so proud. We're so arrogant. It's arrogant to sit here for 20 years and lack enthusiasm for what He did for us. The price that He paid for us and the power that He promised us and the fire that He promised that He would give us, and we sit here for 20 years with lukewarmness and losing the battles. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Challenge your mindset. Challenge your views. Challenge everything about yourselves and humble yourself. So what does that look like to humble yourself there? I have a list of things here that will help us to to humble ourselves. Number one, routinely confess your sins to God. Jesus said, this sinner, this, this guy here, was justified and not the other. For those who exalt themselves shall be humbled, and those who humble themselves shall be exalted. Number two is acknowledge your sins one to another so that you can be healed, James says. Uh, in a church where you can't be yourself, where piety is the name of the game and you can't confess your sins one to another. It's not normal to confess your sins. not to, uh, And you go uh, 20 years without making a mistake, without any reason to confess. <clears throat> There's not going to be much healing. There's... Uh, there's not going to be much humility. The worst kind of humility is a spiritual humility. Uh, a worst kind of pride is a spiritual pride. Acknowledge your sins to one another. Confess your faults and be healed. You know, I was uh, so appreciative where Todd tweaked our... Uh, in, in an effort that he was trying to do, he was trying to make our prayer meetings more meaningful, more user-friendly. And he laid a few things out at a, uh, at a men's meeting. One was having it in homes. One was 
this and that, and he made a few tweaks. And the, and the tweaks were made with the idea of that we'd be more real with one another. You know, sometimes when we pray, we say, you know, you could probably give me a list that would be good for the year. We, d- we don't get down inside here very much. We uh, save things. Let's pray for Dan and Ruthie as they travel. Let's pray for Jesse. Let's pray for safe things. A little bit of healing here and there. But the goal there that he had was that we would be open, that we'd spend less time perhaps in the devotional and a little more time being open. Not with pat answers to each other. Not with criticism one to another, but to open it that we could sit as a group, small groups, and that we could share our own needs and that we could be open. Hey, here's one of the struggles I'm having. And I, uh, we've shared, it's been helpful. And we have room to grow in that yet. But one of the things, if we're going to experience strength, and if we're in success, we're going to be able to confess our faults one to another, and that's going to be the norm. That's going to be acceptable. Take wrong patiently. I can tell in my own life how humble I am when I get the short end of the stick, like Stan was saying this morning. Uh, Take a wrong patiently. Number four, actively submit to authority, the good and the bad. Think Christ. Think of what he did. Actively submit to authority. Uh, we, in these days and age, uh, in these days, we hate the word authority. Uh, the Bible doesn't hate authority. It uses it as a gift, and it says, act, and uh, a thought is, if you want to find out if you're humble, how do you feel about authority? Do you dig in right away? Receive correction and feedback from others graciously. Thinking along the lines of making one tweak to our lives this coming week, living in humility, and we're thinking of the, along those lines because we want to have a, formly, have a form of godliness, but we want to have the power in our lives that God... We want to be called Christians, but we want to have the power. Receive correction and feedback from others graciously. That's difficult. That is really hard to do. My wife and I are working that out yet. Um, I got up early this morning and I thought there's got to be some of those pecan tarts left somewhere. We call them deacon tarts in our house. And I thought, where would she hide them if she had some left? And so I looked in her car. That was the first place I looked and that's where they were. So <laughs> it made me so happy. Uh, 
but when I sat down in church this morning, she uh, pointed out that verse, if you be a man given by appetite, you know. <laughs> Receive correction and feedback from others graciously. When it's a husband or a wife, if we can learn... My wife and I said, okay, how, I have a hard time taking it because I, I, I have a hard time with humility. So she said, well, tell me how to be critical. And uh, I had a whole lot of answers that I could, <laughs> I, I could have said, no, that comes natural for you. No. So we had to, you have to work at this. Between a husband and wife, you have to say, okay, what's a good way to pass this information that we so desperately need? But there's a, there's a real good, if I as a person can have humility, those things that I so desperately need to hear, that people graciously or ungraciously speak into my life, I can grow. I can become what I should be. There's more out there for the Christian. And there's a high calling. And there's a life of fullness. And I can reach that if I can have humility. But if I just get defensive, and if I just get critical and counter attack or whatever it is, I'm never going to find those high places that God has for those who, who follow Him. Accept a lowly place. Um, and purposely associate with people that are lower of lower state than you. And I think this is so important. You know how I have kind of a, a pet peeve or a, a hobby horse that I talk on. And I think sometimes uh, uh, churches hold the ministry up too far and that kind of thing. And I think we have a lot to learn uh, by accepting lowly place and associate with people of lower state than you. Choose to serve others. Willingness to serve others shows humility. Be quick to forgive. The way you forgive others is the way you're going to be forgiven. Be very quick. A humble person is quick to forgive. And cultivate a grateful heart. I think a person that is grateful is a humble person. If, you, if you're not too grateful, it's hard to be humble. But be, be a grateful person. Just a couple others and I'm going to close. Two more. Purpose to speak well of others. A person who is critical of others is not a humble person. A critical person is not a humble person. Speak well of others. And I think, I think that probably, maybe I'm, I'm making this too widespread, but I think that's, that's something we could, probably all of us, could improve in. Uh, that, that we purpose in our heart to either not speak about the person or speak positive or speak well of them. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit to expect and, 
and assume the best of people rather than assume the worst of people. And treat pride as a condition that always necessitates embracing the cross. If we have pride, then we just don't get it. What the price that was paid while we were yet sinners. Uh, We don't understand what it was that Christ did for us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. You know, if I had a transcript of your prayers in the last week or the last two weeks, I could tell so much about you. If I just had a a written transcript of what it was that you're praying for. You know, sometimes I think, sometimes I think that Stanley's right. If we, if we look, there's this question, are they even Christians? And I don't mean to to give that in a, a reckless way or, but you know, the Bible teaches us about about praying, you know, when we look at, uh, at uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it, it's only those that are his people that he listens to their prayers. He doesn't listen to others. And who was it back there? Was it Elijah or Elisha that was mocking those people that were praying as they were dumping? And he was saying, you know, the, the thought today is pray to anyone as long as you're sincere be sincere in what you're... There's, there's one God. There's only one place. But so often we, we pray and we pray the wrong things. Give me this. Give me that. Give me success. Uh, give me wisdom so I can get success. And so many of God's people that were on fire for Him had different prayers. They had prayers something like, give us boldness. Not give us safety. Help us to go out there and tell people about this. Help us to be effective in the Christian life. And I, I, think, we're, I think we're pretty soft sometimes in where we grab a hold of this thing. <clears throat> Closing verse. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. Jesus speaking, and you will find rest for your soul. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, one step towards getting that power back is getting rid of the self-love and getting rid of being impressed with self and being impressed with the Lord. Instead of kneeling, it's pretty full there. Let's bow our heads for a moment.